So you got, if everybody got your binder, you got your binder. Anybody not have a binder? You should have a binder. We want to make sure you all got a binder. And so you got a, you got an outline of where we're headed all summer long. And so it's called the family business. We, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the mob kind of a thing. You know, we got, we're here on purpose, you know, but, but it is this the family business. What do we exist for? So we're going to start like big, big concept. We're going to start way back from a big macro vision kind of a thing. And then we're going to get really into the minutest details by the time we're done. So you'll notice that there's some blanks in your teaching. And so we're actually going to, we're going to cover all of that tonight, that whole thing. We're going to cover it all. I think there's like, I don't know, it could be like 11 pages. So hopefully you'll fill in all your blanks. Amen? Who's going to go home with all your blanks filled in? All right. Make sure, if you don't have a pen, there should have been a pen in there too, and we want you to get all of that done. But we're talking about, uh, we're using the aspect of family business, talking about our DNA and your DNA. It says here that your DNA, where you came from, who you are and where you're going, your DNA says an awful lot about you. And there's a, there's a DNA of a culture. There's a DNA of who we are. And so there's the broad DNA of, of the people of God, church, and all those things all together. But then you get specific with each congregation, each place exists there for a real purpose. And we're going to get real specific down to our DNA as a people, our DNA is the church. What is the impact church DNA? So we want to vet that out for every single person. But we're going to talk a little bit about where we came from and all those things. And we really did come from somewhere. Uh, we, we are a part of a, a fellowship of churches called the Apostolic Church in Canada. And that is a part of a fellowship of churches called the Apostolic Church, which is in over 100 nations in the world. So uh, our roots are right out of the Welsh Revival. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But that's kind of where we came from. So I asked Bill. Bill. Bill was in this church before I came. And I've, I've known, Bill's known me since I was a, a wee kid uh, when I was real young. And even in my troublesome years, he knew me then too. And he still likes me. So, uh, but uh, I just thought I'd ask Bill. Bill, tell me about, you know, uh, the old country, how it was when you came in the church there. What's going on? Just a little bit of the, the history and some of the dynamics about the apostolic church. So Bill Hermiston's going to do that right now. You ready? Give it up for Bill. Say, come on, Bill. Well, in the, the short time I've got tonight, it's impossible to give you a, an in-depth um, story of where we did come from. But as Pastor Carlos said, uh, we are an apostolic church. We have a name, and I believe our name is the Apostolic Church in Canada, for Canada. And, uh, you know, our, our movement, our, con our congregations, in the old country in England were birthed in revival. In, in, um, first, uh, when Pastor Carl asked me to, to give a short word, uh, immediately 1 John 1, 1 came to me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. I, from my perspective and from where I've come from, I've mixed with all the old guys uh, who were old men when I was a young man. 
in, in England. I've rubbed shoulders with them. I've had meals with them. I talked with them. I gleaned from them. And, and you know, uh, in the, there, as I said before, uh, our church has been birthed and born in revival. In 1904, uh, and, and five, there was a mighty visitation in the country of Wales, a mighty revival. Many were converted, many evidences of the power of the Holy Spirit, many of our first leaders and many of our first members came out of this 1904 revival. The effects of revival spread to many parts of Great Britain and many parts of the world. In 1917, I believe that's correct, Pastor Carl, the Apostolic Church commenced in Wales. Our first president was D.P. Williams. Uh, he was ordained as, a, as an apostle and officiating with him and ministering with him in the twin ministry was his brother, uh, Jones Williams, I believe his name was. Now, Pastor Powell was converted uh, in 1904 on Christmas Day. What a time to give your heart to the Lord. And uh, he became our first provident, pro president. And, you know, in 1904 and 1905, God visited the village of Pennygrows. That's a, a small town village in Wales, in South Wales. It's a place where the church originated from. Um, and, you know, in that time of the revival, there was many shakings. There was sinners trembling, vast congregations uh, melted before the presence of God. There, there, you know, revival will shake you. Revival will convict you. Revival will energize you. Revival will cause the river of God to flow through you. Many homes changed. I, I remember speaking to a man uh, one day in the area that I was from, and I was speaking one day, and Bob Lloyd was a man who was a drunk. He used to mistreat his wife, uh, they had very little furniture. But you know, that man gave his heart to the Lord during revival. He gave his heart to the Lord. The Lord changed him. And he used to say that the Lord turned beer into furniture in his house. So radical was the change in Bob Lloyd's house. In this time of revival, the pubs, the public houses, they emptied. The publicans, they closed the doors because of the revival. The police in the villages had nothing to do. Prisoners, men who were committing crimes, were giving their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, men in fishing boats on the ocean, in the North Sea, in the middle of the night, they would start weeping. They didn't know what they were weeping, but it was the convicting, searching power of God uh, inflicting their lives in the time of revival. Men in the bowels of the earth, in the coal mines, in the middle of the night of 
of their shifts, they would start crying. They would look at one another. What's happening to us? But it was the convicting, searching power of God uh, introducing himself to many. In all parts of Britain during this time, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was just like another another Pentecost of Acts chapter 2, you know, and, and, and the Ephesian the effusion pistol coming alive, and also Corinthians as well. God was unveiling revelation of the plan and purposes of God. It was revival time. Now, the problem what came out of this revival was there was no workers. There was no pastors. There was a one here and a one there. And many in the, in the nominal churches they turned their back and they came out of the churches and people were starting having meetings in their homes all over the place. There was an unveiling of revelation of the plan and purposes of God. It was revival time. You know, and uh, there was a hunger and thirst of God's people in those days. They started to read their Bible. They were thirsting for the Word of God. They were reading the Logos where there wasn't any life but it was the word of God and out leaped the rhema of God the, the spirit of God brought the word and they began to read the Ephesian epistle they began to read, read Corinthians as I've already said and there was a breaking away from tradition and, and they read about apostles they read about prophets they read about evangelists they read about pastors they read about teachers who were needed for that day in the body of Christ there was a yearning for the revelation of the church the body of Christ. There was a revelation of government going on. And there was a deep desire in the hearts of men and women. This is what revival does. It'll turn you upside down. It'll cause you to tremble. It'll cause the river of God to flow. And what was needed at this time was a Joshua. A Joshua that would lead God's people into Canaan land. And God chose Pastor Dan uh, D.P. Williams the man uh, out of the out of um, to, uh, different people were there and you know and out of these outpourings God was beginning to speak into different areas and, and districts and D.P. Williams began to get the revelation of the church of Jesus Christ and you know there was a gathering here and a gathering there and there were centers uh, uh, there was Penny Groves in Wales in 1917 there was Hereford in 1920 there was Bradford in England in the 1917 and in Glasgow Scotland Aberdeen uh, in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, they were all receiving the same revelation and God was speaking here and God was speaking there. And D.P. Williams and some of the men that were with him one day, they were invited to go to, I think it was... Um, some uh, Hereford, one of the places, and as they got outside, they looked up, and there was the sign above the Apostolic Church. God not only gave us the name for the Apostolic Church, but He was given other denominations, other people who were meeting with the same revelation, and that's what God was doing. Uh, oh, I feel it burning in my, my, my stomach this morning. <laughs> God is so one, you know. And out of those four districts, 
Uh, there was so much work to be done, and they had seven sections. The country was split up, and one was Wales, the other was the Midlands, the other was Yorkshire, and the other was London, and the last one was the north of England and Scotland and Ireland. During the 1920s and the 1930s, there was much progress, progress that had never seen, had been seen in churches, and they come to together as apostles and prophets and they realized something had to be done. So what they did, they split the sections up into areas and they split the areas up into districts. What that meant was one area, one apostle. In that area there would be sections of districts and in each district would be one pastor who was in charge. In the, in the district there would be four or five churches and in those churches the man in charge would be the presiding elder. It wasn't the pastor but he was a pastor and this is how the, the, the church was built up uh, and the area apostle was in charge and there were district and I could go on and on and on but you know the the main thing that came out of the uh, revival and one of the main things was the missionary center in Bradford Bradford was born on the wings of prayer in each church there was a liberal giving people wanted to give they wanted to send missionaries and you know the word of the Lord was very precious in those days I think of Samuel you know when it says the word of the Lord was precious and in these days that I'm talking about the word of the Lord through the prophets was very precious they had a special uh, place and God would speak and God would send and I can remember uh, this was years after when I was a young man and married and had a family I remember God speaking uh, and I was belonged to the mother church and this is how we respected apostles and prophets and here the word of the Lord came I would have my servant uh, Bill Hermerson and his family to move to Westerhope well the mother church was a large vibrant congre congregation and here am I being sent to a place where there's four or five people or six or twelve you know but however we respected the word of the Lord. We respected it. And there was a growth in those days. And the missionary center, as I've already said, was in Bradford, which was born on the wings of prayer. You know, and uh, there, there was rapid growth. And God would speak and say, I would have my servant to go to France. I would have my servant to go to Africa. And you know, we started a work in France. And when I think of France, I think of Pastor Harry Knight, who was my, my pastor for a few years. And I would sit with him. I, I, I would ask him, uh, what was it like in the early beginning? And he would tell me all about it. And he had an assignment in France. And the, the executive sent him. They were having problems in, in the French church. And uh, there was troublemakers there. And they sent Pastor Harry and I to go and solve the problems. He got to the place and he spoke to the, the, um, the pastors through interpreters. And he said, well, can you give me some names? They said, stand back. You don't get any names. The Lord will reveal to you who the troublemakers are. And that's how it happened. God proved himself. 
to Pastor Harry, and he was able to sort the problems out. There was a work in France, a work in Africa and Nigeria, a work started in Ghana, a work started in Italy, a work started in India, and a work started in Denmark. And we used to have a Pastor Fulkerson in the church here. He was the president of the Bible school, I believe, in Denmark. And in his retiring early days, he came and settled in London here, very good man of God. He used to have a pulpit in his living room and he used to read from the Bible there, I believe, Pastor Carl. And we had a work in India. We had a work in Rhodesia. We have a work in Switzerland. We have a work in... This is all part of revival. This is what God can do when he sends men and women. And we have a work in Switzerland. We have a work in Germany. We had a work in China. We had a work in Estonia and Latvia. And when I think of that place, I think of Pastor Dawson, who was one of our past uh, presidents in the, in the UK. And he retired just near where we used to live. And we would invite him for supper him and his wife and his son, and I would glean from him. I would ask him, what was it like? And he would tell us. I had the privilege of, of asking Pastor Dawson to come and speak at our young people's meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I took him back to the, to the railway station and the motorbike and sidecar. After he got out, he said, that was an experience, Bill. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a work in the United States, a work in the West Indies, a work in New Zealand, and New Zealand went to the Maori people as well. A work in Australia, and they went to the Aborigines, and of course, Canada. When I think of Canada, I think of an apostle in the old country. I think of... Um, Frank Warburton was his name, who was an apostle. And I think of another man called Andrew Hermiston, who was a prophet. These two used to go around the Northeast preaching together and with the apostle and prophet ministries. Of course, that was Pastor Carl's grandfather, and that was my dad as well. You see how revival can bring people together. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, I, 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 I feel that the word of the Lord is coming to you too. He's given you a burning bush experience. Yeah. And that burning bush experience is going to explode and it's going to impact different parts of the world. Where are we going? That's where we've come from. I've given you a little bit idea, but where are we going? I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to Psalm 2 and verses 8. Ask of me. Ask of me, saith the Lord, and I will give you the nations. Oh, London's going to get the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possessions. I'll tell you where we're going to go. We're going to go to chapter 2 and 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea under the administration of Pastor Carl and Pastor Cheryl he became the president and I watched him grow up and all that sort of thing he said before and uh, fine young man, fine young woman well they're not so young anymore <laughs> but you know under their ministry we've seen the first apostolic woman's pastor and Pastor Cheryl we also see the first apostle woman, Pastor Cheryl. 
statues and apostles and, and you know it's so wonderful and I just, that's where we're going but we're go where are we going? Expansion. We don't need another revival. We're already in revival. And that's what it's all about. Amen. Thanks, Bill. You know, I'd want you to just catch, you know, something. Because when you've come out of revival and the fire that they've experienced, it's a big, big deal, you know. And I've had revival. But the Welsh revival, even to this day, they say there's nothing been seen like that. Nothing at all that's so completely, it literally came on like a, a massive wave and it transformed a whole nation. And then I've got uh, other, th I can get you, I'll po post them, but I've got some other things about the Welsh Revival that are really powerful. But that's, that's the seedbed of where we came from. And it exploded. And, you know, that, that group, and, and many people have been impacted by it. It wasn't just our movement came out of it. The, uh, the Elam Foursquare movement, all kinds of different movements came out of that revival. And it was the first revival of Pentecost in, in the UK. And so a big, big move of God. But our roots are supernatural. And my dad remembers the church he was in, in Ponapri, that was begun... Uh, by three families that uh, one family, the Lord said, two, two families are coming today. And they knocked on the door and they said, hey, how you doing? The Lord told us you're coming. Yeah, the Lord gave us your address, told us where to go. And they sat there and then an eight-year-old in the group stood up and he says, come back next week. I'm sending you your pastor, says the Lord. And then they all went, oh, good. So they all went home. They came back the next week. All of a sudden, knock on the door. Hi, last week I was praying with some guys. They gave me this address, said, you're looking for a pastor. They said, we are. God told us you're coming. And that's how the church was started. That's church planting. You don't find that in church growth manuals anymore, but that's how the church begun, and it was all just supernaturally expressed. I mean, they, they literally, the coal miners got so transformed and so touched, they had to take all the donkeys out of the mines because the donkeys didn't know what to do because they stopped cussing at the donkeys. And the donkeys would look at them, expecting them to cuss or something, going, come on, little donkey, bring this along now. Come on, and they were like, who are you? And they literally had to take all the donkeys out and retrain them and bring new donkeys in because they didn't know how to respond to kindness. It was just such a radical shift. The, the police became corner barbershop quartets and singing because they had nothing to do. There was no crime. There was nothing going on. The judges in the courtrooms, there was nobody in the courtrooms. They were quiet. There was no crime. The whole place was absolutely, totally transformed. I love um, how Bill talked about Pastor Knight and having to go to France and ask for the names of the people who were the troublemakers, and they said, the Lord will tell you. Yes. And I love that kind of purity, the prophetic movement, yes. and, the, and the gifts of the Spirit, and yep. the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge. That's really, that's, you don't see that kind of purity in that kind of prophetic gift. Oh, real clarity, absolute clarity. We had a, there was a convention uh, just before, just before uh, the... Second World War, and they were at a convention, and a fellow stood up and says, Ah, the Lord would speak to you, brother. He calls him out and says, You move now. Don't go home. Don't pack. Don't do anything. Go right to the airport quick. Catch this flight to Germany. And his flight was the last flight that landed before they closed the airport, and the Iron Curtain went up. And if he didn't go, there were a lot of young churches outside of Germany that would have been in a crisis without a strong, you know, mature man of God. But, you know, there's and so many story after story after story where everything, it was the hand of God who was guiding the church. And uh, it was amazing how it and that's that's kind of where we're from as a as a family as a community that's kind of the roots of where we came from as a group of believers but we are we are independent autonomous churches all over the world but we're in relationship we're in relationship through apostolic ministry we're not in relationship through through a governance of, of controls and all these kind of things we have a governance of relationship through headship ministries and i think it's really fresh and it's really wonderful all right who's ready to fill in your blanks 
All right, here we go. So I'm going to go right through the pages here. I don't know where the blanks are, so I'm just doing my stuff. If I go too far and you missed a blank, don't be afraid to say, hey, I didn't get that one, all right? So DNA, where you came from, who you are, where you're going. DNA is the hereditary material in humans and almost all other organisms. Nearly every cell in a person's body has the same DNA. Almost every cell in your body, in everybody's body, my, me and you are absolutely, we are 99, they say 99% absolutely alike, even more than that. So most of our DNA is absolutely the same, but DNA is the blueprint of an organism. Human DNA consists of about 3 billion bases, and more than 99% of those bases are the same in all people. The order of these bases determines the information available for building, maintaining an organism, similar to the way in which letters appear in certain order for words and for sentences. So we're very much alike. I mean, we are very much alike. And really, churches overall, uh, people who are, are Christians in churches, most of the stuff, a lot of the stuff we have very, very similar doctrine. The things that divide us aren't as big as people think they are. And I'm shocked at how much time we spend on the things that divide us. And when there's really so much in the church where we are all very much on the same page. So uh, where it all began, the macro to the micro, Bill talking about some of the beginnings. So we want to go from the big picture to the finest details. So the corporate purpose of God and then your specific role in the realization. So Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. So there is a vision. This is the Lord saying, where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, the New King James says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The NLT says, where people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Another translation says that where there's no harness, you know, the people perish or the people cast off restraint. And the harness means that if you have all kinds of people, we got all kinds of people in this room, if we could put people together in some kind of a harness, we could harness that vehicle, we can do so much more together than we can do as individuals. And vision is what brings people together. Vision is what unites people around a purpose. And so we, we understand what that is and we're able to move forward with power. 20 horses in a field, no harness. You can't get that power to work together. But when you connect them, you can manage that horsepower. So there is a heavenly vision and it's proclaimed around the throne of God every day. Now, if you have a, a, an authorized version, a King James version, you'll notice in that if you're reading your Bible that there are some words that are in italics. And if you go to the front of the Bible and you say, why are those words in italics? Your Bible actually tells you why there's italics. How many have actually done that? How many started reading your Bible from the very beginning and not just the Genesis 1? You actually read some of the, the thoughts and the things that are important and, and you know, it tells you why there's italics in your Bible. You know why there's italics in that Bible? Because those words are put in by the interpreters of the original text because they thought it gave it better structure or it helped with the meaning. But those words in italics aren't really there. They're not in the original text. So all around the throne, how many think if, it's, if you're around God's throne and God has the same thing going on all the time, all the time, if you didn't like that message, you'd say, hey, would you guys shut up over there? But there it is, you got angels that are flying back and forth. Isaiah chapter six says the angels are going back and forth and they're crying out above the throne of God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, if you've got the authorized version, the New King James Version, you can turn to that and you'll see the word is is not in the text. It's not there. So what you have is you have the angelic hosts all around the throne of God are crying out all day long, the earth full of his glory, the earth full of his glory, the earth full of his glory. 
And that's the mission statement of heaven. That's the, the primary purpose of God. I mean, if it's not, then he would probably say, guys, can you stop that? Like, that's not as important as you think. If that's being sung by the angelic host all the time, we know that the purpose of God is to get the earth full of glory. If you think the earth is full of his glory, then you think that's a done deal. But they're crying out for that to be manifest, the earth full of his glory. Sin is defined as falling short of the glory, missing the glorious purpose of God, missing the ideal, the wonderful things God has, not realizing his eternal purpose in earth is to fall short of his mandate for mankind. God has a purpose for man. God has a purpose for why we are here. And, and sin is when you miss the mark, you fall short of the mark that God has laid out. So the eternal purpose of God is, as Bill was saying, it's my favorite verse, Habakkuk 2.14. It says uh, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the earth not just filled with glory, but it says the knowledge of the glory. And that word knowledge is the same word that is used for Isaac went into the tent and he had knowledge with Rebecca. So there's knowledge. They had knowledge. If you understand how they knew each other, it's intimate, it's deep. There's, there's a, a, a real, it's not a, it's not a head knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge of experience. So the knowledge, the tangible, expressible knowledge of God is going to fill all the earth as the waters cover the sea. So Numbers 14, 21, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now that's God speaking to Moses. He's, he's trying to work with these folks. He's trying to get his glory in the earth. He's selecting these people. He's got a purpose. He's moving ahead and having a difficult time. But he said, I'm telling you, it may look rough right now, but as surely as I live, as surely as God himself says I live, the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God himself speaking it. It's going to happen for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2, 14. John 14, 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. I mean, Jesus came. The purpose of God, even in Jesus coming, was to manifest the glory of God, to demonstrate the glory of God, to get the glory of God in the earth. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And here's something. What is the glory of God? What was the manifestation of it? It was full of grace and truth. Now, when you say grace and truth, it's not like it was grace and truth. That language says it was grace truthfully. It was grace. It was truthfully, fully, all out grace. Of absolute truth, the manifestation of the glory of God was the fullness of his grace. Some people think, well, God's grace and he's truth. Sometimes he's grace and sometimes he's truth. No, God's always grace and it's always true grace. He is truthfully grace all the time. It's not like when he throws some truth in there, the grace isn't manifest. He is truthfully an expression of the grace of God. Jesus is that expression. He manifests the glory. Acts chapter 3, 19 to 21. Repent therefore, Peter, preaching there on, on that day, stood up and said, repent therefore and be converted that you sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive must retain must hold back until the time of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophet since the world began Jesus he has 
to be held. Jesus is held in heaven. He is kept there and he cannot return until the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets from and since the beginning of the world. That means that Jesus can't return until every prophetic word all the way from the beginning of the world, every single word, every purpose of God that he has spoken, every one of those things has to come into full expression or, and Jesus will not come until that's done. So when will he come? When every single word that has been spoken, every purpose of God that's been declared since the beginning of the world, then he will come, but only then. So what are some of those words? Just one, and the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus can't come until that word is fulfilled. If he did, God himself, who watches over his word to perform it, holds his word above his name, his word would be violated and it would not be manifest if Jesus came out of heaven before all those words were done. God would cease to be God, and he can't do that. So it has to be fulfilled. There has to be a restoration, a realization of all of these words that God has spoken. And what has God spoken? The glory of God is going to fill the earth in a big, big way. If you think a helicopter is going to come and get us out of here just before it gets ugly, that's not the word of the Lord. It's not in the book. You've got to misinterpret the book to actually come to that conclusion. Just the verses I've read you now, and just those things, that word restoration is the apocatastasis, the restoration, and it's, this word means not only of a true theocracy, but also of a more perfect state, even physical things, which existed before the fall. That means that there's going to be such a powerful demonstration of God's glory, resurrection power glory, that there's going to be a restoration of a true theocracy, a theocracy where God himself, his rule and his reign is established, and it's going to be so powerful, it's going to bring restoration to a place more and better than even the Garden of Eden, even than the beginning of the world. There's going to be a demonstration. So we're not going back somewhere. We're going to somewhere we've never been. And there's something big, big going on. If you don't understand the purpose that you're called to, then you're going to abuse yourself and your calling because you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you can spend a lot of time and a lot of gas. You're moving, but you ain't getting anywhere. we got to know what the purpose of God is. So the purpose of God is the restoration of all things. Jesus will not return until all these prophetic words are fulfilled. The king of glory will return when the earth has been fully exposed to a knowledgeable expression of his glory. So that's the big macro. That's the big, big picture of God. God is going to do this. God himself is going to restore all things. He's going to come and he's going to manifest who he is. And he's not just going to have a recovery to where it was. He's going to take it to where it's never been. There's going to be a powerful expression of his reign, his rule, and his glory fill the whole earth. Please settle down. That one excited staff member in the back. So good. All right, the vehicle of his purpose, the vehicle that he's established from the foundation of the world to realize his eternal purpose is the church. And it's not something that just came into expression. It's not something that God said, well, I guess we should have a group of people. This was a purpose that God had before the foundation of the world. Before anything was created, God decided that there would be a called out group of people that he would use to bring the cosmos under submission to his headship. And that vehicle is called the church. That means that the church has an amazing purpose. Who we are is not just a group of people gathering week after week because it's tough out there. 
And we're just going to encourage each other and have a couple Bible studies and I hope you have a better week, brother. You know, hope hope this week's better. Are you kidding? We are connected with the headship of Christ with that same purpose. He wants to use us to bring his kingdom, his reign and rule into manifestation in the earth. He wants to obliterate every manifestation of darkness and we are the light of the world. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Man, the Bible says that we are the pillar and the foundation. If there's truth in the earth, it's going to be the church of Jesus Christ that brings it into manifestation. Hey. All right. Matthew 16, 18. What's Jesus going to do? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to kick in the gates of hell. I'm going to kick in every cosmic form of evil that is resisting the manifestation of my purpose in the whole cosmos, and I'm going to use the church to do that. How am I going to do it? I will build my church. Intentionality of him building his church. Jesus is engaged right now in establishing his government in the earth. Ephesians 1.22, he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him to be the universal supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church. Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth in love, growing in ever more, the more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Say church. Church. Colossians 1, 15 to 23, he's the invisible image of God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created and are in heaven and under in earth, the visible things and the invisible things, whether they're thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence why is he doing all this he's doing all of this because he's going to restore all things under his headship he's going to establish once again that god will have preeminence in every single affair of the cosmos and this is all connected to the church is going to be that vehicle that he has submitted himself to, to be the vehicle through which he's going to express himself. Now, if the church don't know what it's called to do, it's a difficult thing to walk in the manifestation of it. Well, we thought we were supposed to hang out, have a few socials and, you know, couples. If we don't know who we are, we get lost in all kinds of nonsense. But when you know what you're called to do, it's a big, big deal. Here's a word for you. You ready? Cosmological cosmological Ephesians 1 9 and 10 all under his head he made known to us the mystery so if it was a mystery but now it's made known what is it now it's not a mystery so you can't see what's in my pocket because it's in my pocket so it's a mystery but now I'm going to show you the mystery you ready Oh, it's a cell phone. Fantastic. So what is it now? What's in my pocket is no longer a mystery. So what Paul is saying is it might have been a mystery before, but it's not a mystery anymore, which means we should understand it. It's not a mystery. Paul said it's no longer a mystery. The mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed with an view to an administration. His purpose, his kind intention, which he purposed with view to an administration. That, that's oikonome, which means the household management. He says, I have a purpose. This mystery has a purpose. This mystery has an administration. He says, it is suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things, things in heaven and things on earth in him. So he says, Cosmo, the whole cosmos, I have a purpose. And it's not a mystery anymore, but I have a household plan. I have a household administration. I 
have a vehicle that I am going to use to bring into subjection everything in the cosmos. I have a vehicle. So there's the cosmological under his headship, everything, all things in heaven and earth in him. He's going to sum it all up in him. Then there's the ecclesiological aspect, Ephesians 3, 9, and 10. So here's the administration plan, the, the plan of that administration. He wants to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. So the mystery is to bring all things back under his headship. Now, how will we administrate the mystery? It was that which was hidden for ages past, and God created, who created all things, so that he could manifest the manifold wisdom of God now, that it may be known through the church. That I will make known through the church what is the manifold wisdom of God. Where will I make it known? To rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He, through the church, the ecclesia, the called out brethren that he calls out, those who respond and come to him through that vehicle, through that government, I am going to bring into subjection every single enemy of my purpose. And the church, this church, is going to be the vehicle that I subject myself to. I submit my, God submits himself to the church as being that vehicle through which he will express him through even the principalities and powers and high places and bring everything under his headship. That means the church is pretty significant. Hello. So we got to know that. Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. For how long? To all generations. Just every generation? No, let me add to that. Forever and ever. Amen. So the church was the eternal purpose of God, and the church is eternal, meaning it has no beginning and has no end. So the church isn't just some little thing that's going to hang out, you know, for a little while until he gets us out of here. The church is the eternal forever and ever purpose of God through which he reveals himself and through which he will govern. Can I get a how you doing? Colossians 1.27, what are the riches? Let me tell you, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery? What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? It's no longer a mystery, but what are the glory of it? What is the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, among your workplace, uh, among London, among everywhere we are? What is it? What is it? How is it going to unfold? Christ in you is the hope of realizing this glory. And that you is not a you individually. It's a you corporately. So it's Christ in his own body. It's Christ in his church. It's Christ expressing himself through through a, a church that walks in understanding and revelation, church that will manifest and is completely hooked up with the revelation of God, current, real-time, manifesting his purpose in the earth. That's how he's going to do it. It's Christ in you is the hope of realizing the glory. Psalm 110, 1 to 3, the Lord said to my Lord, he said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send his rod, his strength out of Zion. The Lord will send his rod, make every enemy, bring it under subjection, make it your footstool. The Lord will send forth his strength out of Zion. What is Zion? We know interpreting scripture with scripture. Hebrews tells us that Zion is the church. Mount Zion is the church. Whenever you see Zion in the word of God, you can put church because that's what it is. He said the rod of his strength is going to go out of Zion. How is he going to rule in the midst of his enemies? It's going to happen out of his church. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, which by the way, we have volunteer uh, slips and applications. If you don't have one, we can get one for you because it's going to happen as the church volunteers. 
See, volunteering is all a part of the big picture. It's all a part of the eternal purpose of God. The, it says, the people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning, have the, you will have the dew of your youth. So the church is the wineskin that God is using to manifest his purpose and power in the earth. So the church is that wineskin. Matthew nine seventeen. nor do they drink new wine and put it in old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. Say, the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine in new wineskins and both. Say both. Both are preserved. Oh, we got to preserve the wine. We got to preserve the wine. We got to preserve the wine. We need the wine. We, oh, the wine. We need the wine. It says what we need is both. We need the wine and the wineskin. And what has to be preserved? They both have to be preserved. There is a wineskin. There is a vehicle. And you can't have a flow of wine without that vehicle being fresh and without that vehicle being renewed. God has chosen the church as the wineskin that he's going to express himself through in the earth. And so Matthew 9, 17, nor do they put new wine in old wineskins. Hebrews 10, 5, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body. Church, a body you've prepared for me to manifest on earth. Every spirit must have a body. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to manifest himself in the earth, he needs a body. And if God's going to manifest himself in the earth today, he needs a body. And that's why Jesus said, a body you have prepared for me. Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit power, went about doing good and delivered all those oppressed the devil because God was with him. A man smeared with the power of God. A body was used. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and you are members individually. So individually we are connected, but corporately we are the body of Christ. We can't do anything significant on our own. God has created that we must be interdependent. So it's a body, it's the church, it's the people of God gathering and coming together so God can rule in and through us out of the midst of his church, manifest his intentions, his wisdom, his manifold wisdom to principalities and powers even in high places. Where is the real struggle? It's not here, it's not, it's not in Ottawa, it's not in City Hall. It's things that have to be dealt with in heavenly realms and we are seated reigning and ruling in heavenly realms and through us, the church, he wants to express himself and he wants to demolish things and pretenses that set themselves up against the expression of Christ. Hello! I know I'm going fast, but we got a lot of pages, and you got to fill in your blanks. How many are doing good with your blanks so far? Good, all right. Okay, so uh, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he's at work. Jesus is at work right now. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Jesus is at work in the church. What's he doing? Well, he's reconciling all things right now. He's reconciling all things. It must be reconciled. All those things have to be reconciled. He's aligning everything. It's his intent to align everything, to bring it under subjection to him. And then he's exalting. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, having made known the mystery, he wants to exalt. He wants to manifest. He wants to lift up and he wants to exalt and sum everything up in Christ. Ephesians three twenty one. to him be glory in the church through all generations forever and ever. What's he doing? His intercession made provision for the church. What intercession? I love the prayer in John 17. And in John 17, you see Jesus in his final hours. He's talking to his father and he's saying two things. He's saying, Father, I finished my work. He's saying, Father, now finish my mission through the church. That was his prayer. Father, I did it. I did everything you told me to do. I've checked every box. I've made every appointment. I've done it all. Now, Father, 
This group of people, these people that are going to follow God, extend the mission, fulfill the mission, bring it to a flourishing conclusion through the church. He began to pray. He said, I don't pray for these alone, not these that I've raised up personally. He says, but I pray for those who will believe. That's us. He said, I pray for those who are going to believe through his word that they all may be one, Father, as we are one, as you and me are one, I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I have given them in them and you in me that we might be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that I have loved them as you have loved me. Now here's Jesus praying. I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter, but you see Jesus is praying, Lord, the oneness we have, I want that oneness, I want them to be where I am. I want the relationship that I have with you, Father. I want them to have the same relationship that we have. I want to invite them into the Godhead. I want to invite them into the most exclusive club in the world, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I want them to be in us. I want them to operate out of the union that they have with me. Now, way too many people are struggling to get in union. We're struggling to get approved. We're struggling to, am I okay with you, God? Do you like me? Could you possibly use me? Are you kidding? He himself brought you into the family. He himself exclusively brought you into the most exclusive club in the world. He himself granted you access to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he didn't just say you can watch. He said, I'm going to make you one with myself. I'm going to make you one spirit with me. Wow. Too many people going, oh, gee, I want more of you. I want more of you. He's going, I don't even know what else I could do. I've literally brought you in absolute union with me. I can't even get any closer than I am. I have given you the glory. I've imparted myself. You are in me. I am in you. We, I am in the Father. You're in the Father. We are absolutely perfectly one. And songs that are trying to achieve that drive me nuts because they, they reinforce in the minds of people that I'm not as close to God as the Bible says he is. You can't get any closer to God. He himself did it completely and fully. The only, the only way you're any, and it says that I'm an enemy of God in my mind. You know why? Because if your mind is telling you, yeah, some of you arguing in your head with me right now, going, oh, no, I don't think so. That's an enemy in your own head trying to tell you that you aren't where God says you are. Like, you got to accept the word of God over you. You know, you can't, you can't achieve that. It's the grace of God. It's the gift of God. It's the will of God. It's the love of God. It's the grace of God. You know, when you think there's something you got to do to achieve it, and then if you think there's something you got to do to stay there, yeah, he'll bring you in, but then you got to hang on with all your might and better make sure you don't screw up. That's rubbish. You didn't bring yourself in and you can't take yourself out. You're there. You are completely, fully one with God. First thing he gave you is one. He gave you unity of spirit. He said that they may be one. How? What is the quality of our oneness? Father, that they may be one with themselves, with each other, but also I want them to be one with us. What quality of oneness should they have as you and I are one? The quality of our unity with each other and with the Godhead. He said, Father, as you and I are one, let them be one with each other. And as you and I are one, let them be one with us. How many think Jesus' prayers ever get answered? Done. Finished work. I, I go around to pastor's meetings. They're saying, we need to get in unity, brothers. I go, we're already in unity. It's a gift of Jesus Christ. It's a gift of our ascended Savior that he granted us oneness through the Spirit of God because of his glory. Oh, that's nice, Carl. Great. You know, we need to get in unity, brothers. And when you're trying to achieve something in the flesh that's been granted you as a gift, that's when it's a serious problem. 
Anyways, the unity of his spirit. The second thing, his word of truth. He said, I gave them your word. Sanctify them with your word. He says, I watch over my word to perform. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done. The word was written so that it could be spoken. Thank God for the wisdom of giving us word, for giving us Jesus, the living word. But word was written so it could be spoken. Reinhard Bonnke said, God's word in your mouth, it's the same as his word on his mouth. You get God's word, God's revelation, God's purpose on your mouth. It's powerful. This is Jesus providing for the success of the body of Christ. Number three, his revelation of love, that the love you have for me may be in them. Oh my goodness. The love that the father has for the son. So the quality of love that father has for his own son, let that quality of love be in them. We need to be more loving around here. Let's have a 10 lessons on how to love better. You know, you can't achieve that. You just got to receive it. God's love has been shed abroad in my heart. I just drink deeply of the revelation from his word that says his love, that quality of love that they have in the Godhead, that kind of love has baptized me. Please settle down. His mission to fulfill, he said, as I have, you were sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. People were stunned and bewildered. And they said, what kind of man is this? Isn't that amazing? When Jesus did stuff, they literally went, man, what kind of man is that? I mean, he's like a whole different species. You know, as he was sent, we were sent. Therefore, wherever we are, we're equipped in exactly the same way. Therefore, everywhere you go every day, people should be going, what kind of a man is that? What kind of a woman is she? Oh, my goodness. As he was sent, we've been sent, not just sent with the same mission, but sent with the same power, the same anointing, the same authority, the same mission. He gave us his name to use. He said, Holy Father, I protected them by the power of your name, the name you have given me. I mean, the early church understood the power of the name. When they called them and rebuked them, they commanded them, please don't speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Don't use the name anymore, please. Don't. Just stop it. I mean, if you guys meet, meet, do whatever you want to do, but stop saying things should happen in the name of Jesus. Stop using the name. Because when they used the name, all of heaven responded. And people observing watched. People who were their enemies watched, and they saw that the secret to their success is, did you see whenever they use the name, the power of heaven responds? I mean, something happens when they use the name. We got to get them to stop that. All right. Now, stop using the name. When's the last time you suffered for using the name of Jesus because the power of heaven came and disrupted everything? There's power in the name of Jesus. It's not just a song. There really is power in the name of Jesus. He gave us his joy to strengthen us. He says that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Not just my joy, but the full measure of joy. Not the full measure of joy, but the full measure of my joy. Whose joy? His joy. Jesus' joy. What kind of joy you have? Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above his brethren. The joy, the anointing. Joy is, the name of the anointing is the oil of joy. And it's his joy. And it's exalting joy. It's ridiculous joy. It's joy that gives you strength and gives you power. So joy is a big, big deal. He strengthens us with joy. Jesus prayed for us to have his joy. Amen. I mean, Jesus was praying for you, interceding for you, and he said, these are the things you're going to need for success. Then he said, God, give them the glory to reveal. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have made available the glory of God if they would take 25 courses and do 10 Holy Ghost push-ups. I've made it possible that they could walk in glory. It's possible that they could have the same glory that we had, Father, if they would be holy enough to walk in it. That's not what it says. It says, I have given them the glory 
that you gave me. The same glory the Father bestowed upon the Son, Jesus said, that glory, Father, I have given it to them. You know when it's not yours? It's when you try to somehow in your own flesh say, I will do enough to deserve this favor being manifest. You could never do enough to deserve it. The holiness that's demanded for you to walk in this kind of glory is a holiness that can only be granted to you as a gift. That holiness could never be achieved. You could never do enough courses. You could never fast enough days. You could never pray enough, read enough scripture to achieve the glory that he's given you. The holiness that is demanded for that to be expressed in your life is the gift of God. And it's received by faith because it's all grace. It's that achiever garbage that goes on in the body of Christ trying to achieve what's been granted to us, which is a work of the flesh. All right, are you good? How are we doing? Anybody filling in some blanks? All right, let's go faster. Let's go faster. The earth will be filled with the glory. We're called to be his people in the earth, the church manifesting glory, bringing his reign and rule, his kingdom. We must be the church that is operating in the living, powerful encounter with God. Organism or organization? Organism or organization? W. Rowe, book One Lord, One Faith. He said, every type of manifestation of life reveals its nature and characteristics by its organization. So the organization of something manifests the wisdom of it. So everything that exists, when you study, you go, this is really put together well. This is a well put together organism. So he's saying the organism, the manifestation, it reveals the character of it by its organization or lack of it. This was a really poorly made car. It keeps falling apart. You know, but he's saying the organism, it manifests itself. Organization is a big deal. So the church of Jesus Christ is his body and therefore requires divine organization, which is appropriate to its need. Organization is the instinctive, conscious action, the intelligent, systematic method by which an organism can apply its skill and energy in the most efficient way for that point and at that purpose required. What he's talking about is the church. The church of Jesus Christ has a purpose and the church of Jesus Christ has a reason to exist and that organization of the body of Christ is because of its divine because the purpose that it's been called to do is divine. A divine purpose needs a divine system. A divine power, a revelation of wine, a freshness of wine needs a fresh mechanism to distribute that wine. We are distributors of the holy favor of God. The church is the vehicle to demonstrate the goodness of God in the earth. Okay, well pastor, listen, I think life's more important than structure. I think it's more important that you have life than structure. So who cares about structure? Did somebody just say that? I heard that in their head. Uh, we just want life. We don't care about structure. God cares about structure. God created a whole lot of stuff before he said, let there be man. Before the breath of God came into anything and brought, brought forth humans, and brought forth his very good impression, before his image was brought into manifestation of the earth, he had to create an environment for it to live in. A very complicated ecosystem had to be designed to place his purpose in it. And it's the same thing with the glory of God. The glory of God to fill the earth, there has to be a very clear divine expression of organization for that divine flow and purpose to reach its full expression and manifestation in the earth. I'm trying to show that to you biblically. I'm not trying to ram something down your throat. I'm trying to show you, well, I think life is more important than structure. What comes first, life or structure? Well, well, let's look at the word. And God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed his nostrils. He breathed the breath of life into him and he became a living being. So what came first? He formed man. 
He formed a structure, formed a structure suitable, a container that, that was designed like him, that could contain him, that could to contain even God could fill. He formed something, and then he went, Phew. So before there was life, there was a structure. Before there was life, there was a structure. Say amen, even if you don't get it. All right, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Before God sent the Holy Spirit, before there was the birth of the church, the living organism in the earth, before that happened, God had already created a people. He'd already even brought together in three and a half years trained leadership. He worked with a group of people so that when it was time to send his spirit in the earth, the container for it already existed. So he didn't, he didn't send the Holy Spirit and go, there's some people, Oh, gee, that didn't work out. There's a few more. Let's try them. No, Jesus spent three and a half years developing and teaching and training and manifesting. And, and through example, he brought together that people. And when he left, he gave instruction to a body. He talked to Peter. Peter, you're going to lead these people. Feed my sheep. He raised up structure. And then when he left, he said, all right, Holy Spirit, you can go now. Why? Because there's somewhere for you to go. Where did the Holy Spirit go? Well, Jesus created that group of people in Jerusalem, but the Holy Spirit fell in Mumbai. No, the Holy Spirit knew where to go when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. It knew that it had to go to the vehicle that was provided for it. The vehicle, a body I have prepared for myself. The Holy Spirit came to that structure that was prepared for him. Does anybody follow me yet? Anybody at all? Two people, three people, a few of the staff, which is good. That's very good. All right. That's good. All right. So fire fell on the tabernacle. When did the fire fall? When it was finished. When they did everything they were told to do, then the life came. Life came on the temple. When did it come? They did everything as it was commanded. Then the fire came. Structure always goes before life. When you're in a culture that says we don't care about structure, we're anti-structure, we're anti-establishment, man, woo, we just want to do stuff our way. We want freedom. You can have all the freedom you want, but you'll never have the forceful, purposeful power of God if you don't embrace his intentional structure for manifesting it. And it does not weaken. It does not diminish an individual. In fact, this is how every single individual is completely self-actualized actualized in their calling is when they understand that he set each one where? In the body as it pleased himself. See, God sets people in the body and we've got to understand what it's all about. Is anybody saying, interesting? Three people, that's good. Same three people. So John the Baptist summarized the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry. What is the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry? The one who's coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you, corporate body you. He will baptize a body. He will identify a body, and he will fill it with the Holy Ghost and fire. Rick Joyner said the government of the New Testament church was the most innovative and flexible system of authority ever devised. Those who've been able to resist adding or taking away from it have a perfect framework for which the Spirit of God can use. Let me read that again. It's Rick Joyner, after all. He's written a few books, done some stuff. I'm just Pastor Carl. What do I know? So I have to quote this guy. Okay, sorry. My wife's tapping the clock again. The government of the New Testament church was the most innovative, flexible system ever authorized or ever devised. Those who've been able to resist adding or taking away from it have a framework which the Spirit of God can use. Rick Joyner said, the church is not the pattern for the church. Jesus is the pattern for the church. Jesus must always be the focus of our ministry if we're ever to be actually, truly apostolic. Types of church government. You ready? Here we go. You ready? Number one, congregational. Who's writing? 
who's saying, I just, I can't do it anymore. Congregational. Second one is presbytery. Next is episcopacy. Next is autocracy. Next is theocracy. Let me say that again. Congregational. That means it's church government by the people, for the people, all the people. All the people got to vote, praise God. That's, and those are lots of churches like that called congregational. And they have boards and stuff like that. How did, how did they try to carry the ark back to Jerusalem? On boards and big wheels. And that's what they tried to do. And there's a lot of churches right now running because of boards and big wheels trying to run the church. The church is carried on the shoulder of the priesthood. That's how it's carried. So there's congregational type churches where the people run the church. Give it up for the people. There's presbytery churches where it's run by the eldership. Then there's episcopacy where it's run by the bishopric and the, the regional bishops and different things and it's all run through that. Then there's autocracy. And that is where I'm the boss, you're not. We are not subject to anybody. I'm the pastor, which means you have a self-appointed individual who makes all the rules, makes all the decisions, and I'm the fella, I'm the guy, I'm the appointed man here, you guys all do as you're told. So that's where some self-appointed person puts up a plaque, starts a church, and you just all do as you're told. I hear from God for you, and that's the way it is. And there's a lot of those. There's a lot of self-appointed autocracy churches around. Then there's a theocracy. A theocracy is where we believe in divine headship. So who's the head of the church? Jesus. Jesus really is the head of his church. You know what I really believe? I trust that Jesus can lead his church. I really trust that even though we, we are men and women who, who hold roles and become elders and deacons and things like that, we really truly believe that the head of the church is Jesus. And we really believe that together we can move ahead by finding the mind of God. And I like a theocracy. Mind you, in all of those other structures, I found godly people in those structures doing fantastic works and doing fantastic things. In Samuel, he said, they have not rejected you, they rejected me. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people are afraid to let Jesus be the head of his church. Jesus who? <laughs> yeah, you say Jesus is the head of your church, but it's... Uh... A lot of people are afraid to let... Well, do you really trust that Jesus can guide and lead his church? Do you really trust that? I really do. I really do. Divine headship, the apostolic church, divine government. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 talks about he gave some when Jesus ascended. He gave structure. He laid out some things when he ascended. He developed a structure, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the works of ministry. They don't do the ministry. They equip for ministry, edifying the body of Christ till we come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man, the full measure, full stature of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of dogma, every wind of truth. People get tossed to and fro, not by falsehood. People get tossed through and fro by truth. They get tossed through and fro by extreme truths. It says that they may all grow up and come into fullness, no more trickery of men, the cunning and crafting and deceitfulness, plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head of the church, who is Christ, from whom the whole body joined knitted together, every joint supplying, every joint supplying according to the effective working of every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. So the blueprint in Ephesians is God's part, impartation. It's the fivefold part, leasing and it's our part we just have to be willing so grace is deposited the impartation there's a releasing there's bringing out the shape and helping equip and realize each person's gifting and calling and then there's the willingness it's just people saying i'm willing i'm willing to embrace the choosing and the will of god for my life all right so the church quickly 
degenerated. The church quickly went sideways in the first century, fell into a hierarchical style of man system. You had professional clergy and lay people. The church, uh, the building, you know, was uh, Jesus is building his church, but he will complete the work, even though that went sideways. A tenant, a doctrine. Here's what we believe. We believe Christ's leadership is in the church and expressed through all apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and elders for the unity, maturity, and growth of the church. We believe in local church government is through elders and deacons. We have elders and we have deacons, and when I'm here as a pastor, as a set ministry, as an ascension gift, I don't sit at the table with the elders as an apostle. I sit at the table with the elders as an elder. And so in our house, I'm an elder. I, I do have an apostle anointing on me, but in this house, as we govern here in this house, I sit together with a group of elders and we seek the mind of God over the fellowship. Amen? Together we seek him. Yeah, not I seek him. We seek him together. It's together seeking his mind. So uh, Paul said, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to the church in Philippi. He said, I'm writing to the elders and to the deacons in the church, the episcopos, the overseers, and the diaconos, the attendants. David Newby said, should we look, not look to the local church government as being invisible government, where function is not a doorway to the position or a license to dominate, but an anointing to recognize others, to equip and release them into their calling and gifting for the common good of the church. The message of the church is the kingdom. It's the kingdom. That's the message of the church. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So man is God's legal agency with access to the earth, and the church is his corporate vehicle for glory. Miles Monroe, he said, we should stop trying so hard to live like Christians and all the false assumptions associated with that term. Instead, we should work harder living like sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Too many are simply religious people, but citizens of the kingdom are legal people. They're legal people. When you're a child of the kingdom, you understand kingdom and you understand the legalities of your authority and what you can allow and disallow. You're not just a Christian trying to be a nice person. You understand that I am a citizen of the most powerful living, breathing organism. I am an agent of God himself and he has sent me as his legal regency in the earth to allow and to disallow things. And yet we live like we're just, we're just trying to be good people. We're not good people. We're powerful people. We're legal people. Thank you, another staff member excited about Adam didn't lose his religion. He didn't lose a denomination. He lost his place as ruler. He was there to let a man be in our own image, let his likeness, let him have dominion. Say dominion. Dominion. Psalm 115, 16. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, but the earth he has given to man. Augustine said, without God we cannot, and it says without God we will not. So there's this partnership with God. God is God, very God, but God himself has designated that whatever happens on earth has to happen through a agency of man. Man, that's why Jesus had to become a man, because a man has to manifest the kingdom and the authority of God. That's the way it's set up. So religion has kept people on a treadmill of performance. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It says, you shut the kingdom in men's faces. Jesus came, though, and he preached the kingdom. Repent. Turn around. I mean, welcome the good news. Here it is. Don't feel sad. Just get a new revelation. The kingdom of God is within your reach. I must preach the kingdom to this city, to all other cities. The purpose I was sent was to preach the kingdom. Jesus said the purpose I'm here is to announce there's a new king in town. There's a new way. The reign and rule of the father is back and I'm here to announce it and bring everybody into it. He said, don't be seized with alarm. Don't be struck with fear, little flock. It's the father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom, the gift of his rule and influence. Luke 29, 22, 29, my father has appointed a kingdom and he's conferred it upon me. So I do not, I, I confer it on you. He said, I privilege, I decree upon you. I confer, bestow as a gift of favor, honor, and I dispose by the will of a covenant. He says, I dispose and I give you the kingdom. Colossians 1, 12 and 13, the father 
who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. He delivered us from the power of darkness and he conveyed us into the kingdom of the son which he loves. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a power. The kingdom must have a ruler, a realm, and it must have rules. The kingdom of God is expressed where people have yielded to his authority and manifest his rule. Not his rules of, you know, laws of holy purity, but his rule over demonic forces, his rule over anything that stands against the revelation of his kingship and his authority. Amen. The kingdom is an environment for the glory. The believer out of the glory is like a fish out of water. The believer out of the glory is like a fish out of water. They will not function right. If you don't understand kingdom, you won't understand glory, you won't function. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can take the comma and pull all the other stuff out. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is, where is the kingdom of God? It's in the Holy Ghost. What is it in the Holy Ghost? Righteousness, peace, and joy. But where is the kingdom? It's in the Holy Ghost. What is the glory? It's the Holy Ghost. What is the glory? It's the reign and rule of his kingdom. It's all about being whacked completely, following, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit always. There is a place called in the Spirit. It's a place where you dwell. It's a place where you abide. Romans 5.17, for by one man's offense, through one man, it says, uh, uh, much more those who receive the abundance of death reign because of one man. You see what death, see what happened because of the devil, terrible stuff, and, and because of the fall of Adam. We see what went on, but how much more? How much more through one man, through Jesus Christ, it says that we have received. Now say receive. And what, what is that? It's receive. You're not achieving it, but you've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, and those who receive that will reign in life. So we were called to be people of the kingdom, kings and priests in the earth. We made to be kings and priests. We're called to seek the kingdom, enter the kingdom, pray the kingdom, preach the kingdom, manifest the kingdom, seek the kingdom, enter the kingdom, pray the kingdom, preach the kingdom, manifest the kingdom. It's all about the king, and it's all about his reign and his rule, and that king is conferred upon you that same power and that same authority. Open heaven is establishing around yourself the domain of the king. When the heavens are open, we have free access to everything in heavenly realms, a free flow of God's abundant grace and ministry power. Is the heaven open above you right now? Yes. You're not trying to get the heaven open. You live under an open heaven because Jesus is the new and living way. There is nothing hindering you from full access to the realms of God unless you think there is. If you think there is, there is, but it's only in your head or because you read something about it and you think there is and you should have put that book away. All right, the birth of the church was, was in the, when the Holy Spirit came, the birth of the church, the devil had a nervous breakdown. The church was baptized in fire. What did the devil see? He saw a unity was manifest that he couldn't divide, a unity he couldn't divide. He saw a tongue that he couldn't understand. He saw a power that he couldn't handle. How you doing? How many of you filling in all your blanks? pretty close. He saw unity he couldn't divide. He saw a tongue he couldn't understand. He saw power that he couldn't handle. I can't preach all this. I got to move on. He manifests a revival that he can't stop, manifest evidence that he can't deny. That's how the church was born. The church's devotion in Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47, we see the church's devotion. We see that the church, the early church, right away, they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to communion. They were devoted to prayers. They were devoted to manifest. Did you get that? Want me to go slower? 
They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to fellowship, communion, community, real authentic relationships. You know, real stuff. Not the stuff where you, hey, how are you? And then you beat the person up on the phone, you know, two hours later with somebody else. I mean, real fellowship. I mean, real intimacy, real unity. Devoted to the word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to communion. We understand the finished work of the cross. When we have communion, we celebrate. It's finished. It's done. We finished that. We're devoted to prayers. They were devoted to manifest. Many signs and wonders were done. We're devoted to perform the miraculous, to manifesting the power of God. They were devoted to the to giving, as, as Bill said, when there was revival in our early church, people wanted to send people all over the world. They could take up offerings, baskets full of money to send people anywhere, because when revival comes on, you're a generous people, and they were devoted to rejoicing. Disciples were continuously filled through their souls with joy and the Holy Spirit. How often? Continually filled throughout their souls with joy and the Holy, devoted to rejoicing. If these disciplines were fun fundamental to their success, then we should be walking in the manifestation of it today. So the church was the advancing church. You ready to go through this really fast? The advancing church. You know, if nothing else, if you think God might use you in ministry someday in the future, if you filled in your blanks were paying attention, you might actually think there's a call on your life and you're seeing this stuff will preach someday. I got a whole bunch of outlines. I could preach for four months on this stuff. It's true. I'll tell you. The advancing church. I mean, when you look at the church, the church was born in, in uh, Jerusalem, but then it was blown up and it, it, it was totally expired. And, and they were like, what are we going to do now? But the church had moved up to Antioch. And from Antioch, the church began to move and take over the whole world. But the Antioch church, there were some, some things, some manifestations in the Antioch church. So the anatomy of an apostolic invasion with the Antioch church. I'm going to preach to you today of the anatomy of an apostolic invasion. How God takes a people and he pours his power to them and he begins begins to take territory in a region. I'm going to break the word of God to you today, and I'm going to reveal to you the anatomy of an apostolic invasion. Wow, this, this huge sermon itself. Take me three weeks to preach this one, but I'm giving it to you in a few minutes. You ready? Number one, there's preparation in the church. Where does preparation take place? In the church. It says, now in the church, there was Paul, there was Barnabas, there were people, they were in the church. There were people who were aligned with the leaders. They were aligned in a governing place. Where did Paul, did Paul, God sent Paul, and you know what Paul did? He aligned himself with the church. He got a word from God, Paul, you are my apostle to the Gentiles. You know what he did? He found the leaders and he submitted to them. I'm not submitting to you, I have a call from God himself. Run away quick, something's going to blow up. Paul immediately found a place where he could be in relationship, a place where he could be submitted to experience submission. Preparation takes place in the church. Commissioning is by the church. They put their hands on them. They sent them away. There's an impartation. Paul said in Galatians 2.2, he communicated to them the gospel which I preach, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Paul went to the leaders of the church and he said, I want to submit to you my teaching just in case I spend my whole life with a faulty ministry. Just in case I waste my life with something that's not of God, I want to submit to you what I believe God gave to me and I want you guys to judge it. Those kind of people are the kind of people that are world changers. 
he was prepared in the church, commissioned in the church. There's the leading of the Holy Spirit, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. The word is proclaimed. They preach the word of God. The gospel is the power of God. And the gospel, Paul's gospel, he said, my gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. The fifth thing, they minister as a team. There was John, Mark, Barnabas, Paul, always went out. He ministered with a group of people. There's no individual that can achieve this on their own. It's going to take a team of people. Team ministry is going to become a big deal in these days. We're not all going to try to follow the one man who's, you know, packing the anointing in his suitcase. And this guy's got the revelation. We got to, it's going to be a team of people walking in mutual relationship in the power of God because there's a synergy that takes place in a group that one man can't accomplish. There's ministers as a team. They confront demonic guards. They confront demonic guards. You walk into areas and you know that you're there. I've gone into areas where they've asked me to preach a conference and I know that I'm there for one reason. I spend more time, not even in the conference, I spend more time confronting things that God shows me in this region that need to be toppled over and destroyed. I don't care what happens in the meetings. I knew that I was there to deal with a power and a throne that needed to be dismantled. And you go into regions, you go into territories and you Tear down the things that hinder the flow of the purpose of God. They confront demonic guards. They operate in miracles. They take new territory. They are persecuted. And then they return and testify. All right, so our heritage, DNA of who we are, Welsh Revival. Got some stuff on the Welsh Revival. I can send you or email or make it available on the website. But Whitaker in his book, Great Revivals, he said, the presence of God in the Welsh Revival was felt everywhere. The atmosphere was divinely charged. People seemed to be convicted of sin and become aware of their need of salvation, even without the presence of a preacher or an evangelist. There was no revival like the Welsh Revival, but it dissipated, many believe it dissipated because of introspection. It's where people started to look in and people started to stare at their belly buttons and started to do things. All right, that was a lot of stuff. Somebody say that was a lot of stuff. All right. Was it any good at all for anybody? You know, because all the notes are actually online, so if you didn't fill in all your blanks, the notes are going to be all online. But I wanted you to try to follow and fill in blanks. I can't tell you how important the truth I just shared tonight is. I, I preach, everywhere I go, I preach on the glory of God. But everywhere I go, I also preach on the wineskin. And there's a lot of people who want, let's go hear that guy preach on the glory of God, which is fantastic. But if you don't understand the administration of the mystery, if you don't understand that God has created a vehicle precisely to carry that and to bring it, and that God will submit himself to that, because the Holy Spirit didn't come by chance to that upper room. The Holy Spirit came to that upper room because that was the place that Jesus had said, there's a body that is prepared. There's a group of people. There's a vehicle for the explosion of taking over the earth. And the Holy Spirit knew exactly where to go and exactly who he'd impart power to. And so we got to know that the church isn't a byword. The church isn't something I can do with it. I could do without. I, I feel horrified for people who feel that way because they lack revelation and understanding that the church is it. Like the church is such a beautiful thing. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is such a significant living organism in the earth. And then not understanding and knowing where he has set you in the body of Christ is such a sad thing. So what we want to do is that in that big picture, we're going to start breaking it down every single week until we get right down to the nitty gritty of where has he set you in the body of Christ. And wherever he set you, don't think that, oh, he set me in a little spot. You know, because no matter where he sets you, wherever he sets you is not limited because it says when you're faithful with a little, he'll give you more. 
And if you got a vision for a whole lot more, you know what I spent a lot of years doing? A little. And I still feel like I'm just doing a little. Although I'm, I got vision for so much more. So much more. But you know what? I'm going to be faithful right now in what's in front of me. And I'm going to do it with all my heart. And I'm going to do it with all my strength. Because I know the limit to what God can do in and through me has nothing to do with him. It has to do with me. It has to do with am I going to be faithful right now with what he's put before me. And you are determining right now. You're putting the boundaries on God because he has no boundaries on you. He hasn't limited you at all. But he wants you to understand your setting. He wants you to embrace it. He wants you to serve that. And he really does want to blow you into the nations of the world. And I hear the nations crying out for people who understand the revelation that is necessary today to bring his power in the earth. I pray that what can only go from spirit to spirit, that can't go from note to note. I pray that that which can't go through conversation, words to ears. I pray that that which is only caught by the spirit of God. I pray that your spirit would be disturbed. I pray that your spirit would realize that something is going on here in this hour that you need to engage with. And you're here tonight because there's something in your spirit that cries out for a destiny that's greater than what you see right now. And you know that the church was designed for incredible greatness. And that's what we want to do. We're going to break it all the way down, and we're going to release every single person, every dream, every vision, because that's why we're here to, here to equip people. Not to, you don't exist for me, I exist for you. You don't exist to fill chairs so I can preach on Sunday. I exist so that every purpose that God has placed in your heart, that we can equip it, that we can draw it out into full expression and full manifestation, so that we can empty these chairs and send you to the nations. That's the big picture. Come on, stand up. We're going to pray. Send you on your way. That was a lot. I knew it was a lot. Oh, my God. I knew it was. I really did. I knew it was. But it's okay if you really get it. It's real simple. Big God has a big cosmological purpose, and he's got an ecclesiological expression of that to get it done. And it's a big deal. And you need to find your place in it. It'll make you so happy. It'll get you so satisfied and so established. Father, I pray, God, the, you said it's the foolishness of preaching. It really is. And we've thrown an awful lot of folks tonight, but I pray they'd take the notes and not fold them up and throw them in a can. I pray that somehow they'd honor and just cherish the opportunity to, to embrace your word and embrace your purpose. I pray, Father, that uh, we would see a community develop here that understands that the church isn't just some little huddle of people waiting to get to heaven. It's a living, fire-breathing, powerful army of God that is ready to bring heaven into the earth. I'm not trying to get to heaven. I'm trying to get the heaven that's already in me to explode in my world everywhere. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we journey together over the summer, that you would help us to uh, equip people and release people into the fullness of what you have for them. So I pray you take the word, push it deep, push the seed deep, deep in hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.